Biden appointed special counsel Jack Smith indicted President Trump on a total of 41 different counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States and, of course, the mishandling of classified documents. It's all nonsense and legally baseless, of course. But we now know that in the course of Smith's investigations, he issued a search warrant to Twitter seeking vast quantities of information about Americans who interacted with Trump on Twitter. The details are shocking, but one thing is clear. The Democrats and the radical left view the law as nothing more than a weapon to wield against their political opponents. Then, in our deep dive segment, Chinese dictator for life Xi Jinping meets with Joe Biden in San Francisco. Biden is showing weakness and refusing to treat the Communist Party of China like the enemy that it is. It's a huge mistake and a very dangerous one. All that plus behind the headlines on this week's episode of Founding Principles. As always, I am your host, Doug Wardlow. A battle for the fate of America rages. The radical left seeks to destroy the very foundations of our republic. God, the family, and the Constitution are under attack. Amidst the chaos, Doug Wardlow speaks truth and points the way back to freedom. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Jack Smith is not a good guy. You all remember, I am sure, that he is the special counsel who, in August, convened a grand jury and indicted Donald Trump in federal district court for the District of Columbia, alleging that Trump conspired to defraud the United States and conspired to disenfranchise voters. The entire indictment is nonsense, of course. It's the weaponization of the criminal law for political purposes, pure and simple. This week, it was revealed that Jack Smith, back in January 2023, in the course of his investigation, sent a search warrant to X, formerly known as Twitter. A heavily redacted version of the search warrant has been made public, and what it reveals is truly shocking. Special Counsel Smith's search warrant requested a vast amount of information related to the Twitter account of President Trump, including information on the millions of different Twitter accounts that interacted with President Trump's account. So if you liked a tweet from President Trump's account anytime between October 2020 and January 2021, then your Twitter account would be among the information responsive to Jack Smith's search warrant. But the search warrant demanded a lot more information than just that. It demanded that Twitter provide the Justice Department with several categories of information, each of which would no doubt amount to a massive mountain of data concerning not just Trump's Twitter account, but those of millions of regular Americans who use Twitter. For example, the search warrant requested all tweets created, drafted, liked, or retweeted by Trump's Twitter account, as well as all direct messages sent from or received by Trump's Twitter account from October 2020 through January 2021, as well as all associated metadata and logs. Significantly, metadata would include location information. So if you sent Trump a direct message on Twitter during that time frame, then your direct message, logged account information, and even location information would be included in the search warrant's request for information. The search warrant also requested all users Trump's account followed, unfollowed, muted, unmuted, blocked, or unblocked, and all Twitter users who followed Trump's account between October 2020 and January 2021. It also included all lists of Twitter users who favorited or retweeted posts during that time frame, as well as all tweets that reply to or even just mention Trump's Twitter username during that time frame, and of course, all associated logs and metadata. That's a truly vast and ridiculously overbroad search warrant. According to the New York Post, Twitter initially delayed complying with the search warrant, which led to a $350,000 fine being levied against the company. Along with the search warrant, Jack Smith sent Twitter a non-disclosure order, instructing Twitter not to tell Trump or anyone else about the search warrant. 
So you heard that right. Jack Smith demanded that Twitter divulge a vast amount of information about all sorts of Americans who interacted with Trump's account on Twitter, and he tried to keep what he was doing a secret. Twitter fought the non-disclosure order in court, very nobly, but Twitter lost. We are finding out about all this now due to a lawsuit brought by media organizations seeking sunlight on Smith's investigation into Trump. So in sum, here's what we know. Jack Smith demanded that Twitter give up vast quantities of information, including information on every Twitter user who ever interacted, well, who interacted with Trump's Twitter account during that time frame. And that's basically every Twitter user in America, right? Because is there really any Twitter account that didn't in some way interact with Trump's Twitter account? We're talking about most of the Twitter accounts in the United States. So why did Jack Smith need all of this information? Certainly, he didn't really need it to put together his absurd, legally baseless indictment of Trump for conspiring to defraud the United States or conspiring to disenfranchise voters and all that nonsense. The search warrant is vastly overbroad. So what was he really trying to do? Well, we can only guess, but we can make some pretty well-educated guesses. First, Jack Smith must have known that at some point his vastly overbroad request for information would become public. And I doubt he's very upset about that now that he's secured the indictment of Trump that he was seeking. That's because the radical left is out to intimidate political conservatives into silence. And there is no doubt that requesting such a huge quantity of information from Twitter about the accounts of Americans who interacted with President Trump will have that effect. To avoid the weaponized Justice Department, many Americans will undoubtedly curtail their online expression, stop interacting with political conservatives' accounts, and engage in self-censorship. It's very unfortunate. Jack Smith's overbroad search warrant thus chills expression. It chills speech. And of course, when the government acts to chill speech directly like that, especially when they're doing it based on political viewpoint, that violates the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech. But one other thing is for certain. By gathering vast quantities of information about every American who interacted with Donald Trump on Twitter, the DOJ would be able to put together a list of its political enemies. That is, the political enemies of the regime, the political enemies of Joe Biden. So this abuse of prosecutorial discretion in the form of a vastly overbroad search warrant opens the door to further political weaponization of the law. You see, the radical leftists who control the Biden administration, like all radical leftists, they don't care about the law or the First Amendment or the Constitution. Leftists view the law as a tool to be used for achieving their desired political ends. That viewpoint, of course, is contrary to everything America stands for. If the leftists succeed in undermining the rule of law and transforming the law into a mere tool that they can use when it suits them and ignore when it does not, then none of our freedoms are secure, and the Bill of Rights itself means nothing. So, as I've said many times, by indicting President Trump and by abusing legal processes to do it, the Democrats have truly crossed the Rubicon. They are marching on Rome, and nothing will really ever be the same. Never before in American history has a former president been prosecuted by the administration of a sitting president. President Biden appointed Special Counsel Jack Smith basically to do his dirty work. It was a blatant attempt to create political cover and the illusion of independence through the Special Counsel statute. Smith indicted Trump on four counts related to the January 6th incident at the Capitol. That's the one including the conspiracy to defraud the United States and all that nonsense. He didn't care that there is no legitimate legal basis for the indictment. You know, the Supreme Court has held that to establish that someone has conspired to defraud the United States under the relevant statute, the prosecutor must establish at the very least that the legitimate action and purpose of some lawful government function has been defeated. But here, nothing was defeated. No function of the government was subverted. The votes of the electors were counted. Biden became the president. Plus, Trump never knowingly lied or used any dishonest means to try to trick anyone to, into not performing a government function. What's more, advancing legal theories to inquire about the veracity of election results, advancing legal theories to contest election results, and publicly questioning the veracity of election results all constitute expressive conduct and petitioning the government as well. And those two things, expressive conduct and petitioning the government, they're protected by the First Amendment. In fact, expression concerning politics is the kind of speech that gets the highest level 
of First Amendment protection because it goes to the core purpose of the free speech clause, ensuring that the government never suppresses criticism of the government or political discourse. But Jack Smith doesn't care about the First Amendment of the law. He, in, he indicted Trump in spite of the law. And don't forget that just a few months earlier, Smith had President Trump indicted on 37 felony counts related to the alleged mishandling of classified documents in, a case, in the case down in Florida. No matter that, as President Trump as President Trump had complete authority to declassify documents, and no matter that then-Vice President Vice, uh, Joe Biden was storing classified documents in his garage in Delaware during the time when Hunter Biden was living in that same house, when Hunter Biden was working with entities with, entities with ties to the Chinese Communist Party, and when money was flowing from those CCP-linked entities to Biden family members. No matter that Hillary Clinton undoubtedly violated the Espionage Act with her private email server, but was never prosecuted. You see, it is absolutely clear the Biden administration and the radical left have really just decided that the law is just this tool. Nothing more. It's a tool to be used to fight their political enemies, a tool to be used to further their political agenda. If the law gets in the way of their agenda, they ignore it. If it furthers their agenda, well, then they enforce it. So we must rally around President Trump and defeat this political persecution and abuse of the law. But I'm afraid that that alone won't be enough to stop the decay. The rule of law has already been severely damaged. And the radical leftists in the Biden administration aren't just out to silence President Trump. As President Trump has himself observed, the radical leftists are after all of us. They are after all of us who, like President Trump, believe in America's founding principles. They are out to end freedom of religion, enforce orthodoxy to the state-sponsored LGBTQ alphabet soup religion, and end freedom of speech. Indeed, the radical left no longer welcome civil discourse or debate. They, they won't even settle for acceptance of their positions. Increasingly, they demand total agreement and even vocal celebration of their positions and their values. If you don't enthusiastically voice your support, they will try to use and abuse the law to force you to do so or to silence you completely, even to the extent of destroying your livelihood or sending you to prison. You see, ultimately, the radical left is out to undermine the Constitution, to tear down this country, and then to replace it with an authoritarian socialist regime. And so now we find ourselves at a critical juncture, really a critical juncture in the midst of a battle where the very foundations of our republic are under attack. We find ourselves at a true time for choosing, to borrow the title of Ronald Reagan's famous speech. We must choose rightly. We must stand up for the rule of law, for the Constitution, and for America. For if we make the wrong choice, our American Republic will go the way of the Roman Republic, where the Republican order was torn down and a new, despotic, terrible, authoritarian order emerged. Well, if you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead. If you're watching this on YouTube or on Rumble, you know, like the video, subscribe to the channel. Doing those things helps us tremendously. Drop a comment down in the comment section as well. If you have a question for the show, email that to the email address down in the description. Also, go, make sure you go and support us by supporting our sponsor, MyPillow. Visit MyPillow.com and use promo code Wardlow to get discounts on all their various products. That's MyPillow.com and promo code W-A-R-D-L-O-W. Now it's time for Behind the Headlines. First up today, the Huffington Post, as you all know, is a trash media outlet. They have lost a lot of their re relevance in recent years, but they were once a very popular media outlet, at least with you know leftists. Well, the Huffington Post made headlines this week after running a disgusting headline, a particularly disgusting one. What was the headline? They said, the war criminal, Henry Kissinger, dead at 100. It's just shameful. Maybe Kissinger could have gotten a better headline if he was, say, an Islamic terrorist or a cop killer. It seems like the left likes to glorify those figures. With Kissinger's passing, we have lost an important figure in American history. Instead of talking about his substantial foreign policy record and whether his advice and his actions over the years were good or bad, though, let's focus on something else. 
Kissinger left a legacy and lived a full and meaningful life. As Nixon's Secretary of State, he became one of the most recognizable American diplomats in the entire course of American history and an expert in American foreign policy, of course. Do I agree with how he handled, say, China? Well, no, absolutely not. And there are a lot of other things in his career that I think he probably got wrong. But I won't go into his entire resume. Let's just consider the sheer span of his life, which lasted 100 years. He was born in the year 1923. He saw the Great Depression, World War II, the moon landing, the Kennedy assassination. He lived through the Reagan administration, 9-11. And, of course, he saw the freest and most fair election uh, ever in 2020. Remember that free and fair election? Yeah, right. The left has always hated Kissinger. But they hate the fact that he was a man of consequence even more. It's why the left hates the Founding Fathers, why they're tearing down statues of Robert E. Lee, why the only history they want to read is written by leftist professors born, say, in the 1980s. They have no respect for their elders and no respect for tradition and no respect for America's founding principles. Like I said at the beginning, we don't need to decide Kissinger's place in history right now. He wasn't a perfect man. No one is. But the left's joyful reaction over his death, and they have been very joyful about it, it's very telling. It shows us their true colors. It's shameful. They want everyone to be as dull and miserable as they are. They want the future to be written by depressed millennial gender studies majors instead of great thinkers, hardworking Americans, and true patriots. So let's reject the left, and let's pray for the Kissinger family for their loss. May God rest his soul. Second up today, in case you missed it, an article from Deadspin recently made insane accusations against a boy who can't be much more than 9 or 10 years old. The boy was at a Kansas City Chiefs football game with his father, where he donned a chief's headdress and painted his colors in his team's painted his face in his team's colors, red and black. Now, Deadspin, being the miserable little twerps that they are, found a photo of the little boy showing only the half of his face that was painted black, and they used that to say the little boy was in blackface. It's, it's ridiculous. Thankfully, one of the few good remaining folks over at Fox News, Jesse Waters, had the boy and his father on the show to talk about the article. And so he was able to clear the air and, and make sure everyone knew the truth. The entire thing, though, is an absolute outrage. Here's this kid out enjoying a ball game with his dad, one of those great experiences of childhood for any young boy. But because the left is hypersensitive and always looking to demonize their fellow countrymen, they completely ruined his experience. It's almost insane that we have to discuss this at all. How many people walked past that boy in the game and thought, you know what, we should make a public example out of him to score cheap political points? Absolutely no one. Not one person. I'm sure, though, everyone, I'm sure everyone that actually walked by him and saw him either thought, you know, wow, that's an awesome way to support the Chiefs, and that's very enthusiastic, or, well, he's supporting a lousy team, but that's a dedicated fan. A society this focused on race and sensitivity and all the things the left focuses on, it just isn't healthy. We need to be able to joke with one another. We need to not be afraid of going out in public and, and doing things in good faith. What the child was wearing was fine, of course, but even if it wasn't, shouldn't we have a society that handles these situations with grace and compassion? Is that not the actual way to change hearts and minds to the extent that anything needs to actually be changed? The writers at Deadspin don't actually care about changing beliefs or hearts or minds. They did this to score cheap political points and push their narrative, and thankfully, it seems to have backfired. I'm glad the boy and his dad were able to clear the air on Fox News. But seriously, you two, go Vikings. All right. Third and finally for uh, behind the headlines today, I'm sure you've all heard, but uh, Derek Chauvin was stabbed in prison. Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was, was at the scene of the George Floyd incident. This comes after the Supreme Court decided not to hear his appeal. Now, I'm sick and tired of hearing the left elevate George Floyd. He's the, here's the bottom line. Derek, Derek Chauvin did not receive a fair trial. The trial should have never taken place in Minneapolis. Public officials were inappropriately talking about hoping for a conviction, including Joe Biden, by the way, Maxine Waters. 
and George Floyd was quickly, quickly declared a murder victim by the media before anyone had any facts, and the pressure of the mob was immense. The, the mob formed around the courthouse. Every day, the jurors had to basically be escorted into the courtroom, and they would see the terrible mob. Uh, that certainly put pressure on them, and so the trial was not fair. It should, never should have taken place in Minneapolis. Now, it's sad, of course, very sad and tragic when people overdose. There are people who have become addicted to drugs and can't shake their addiction. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's difficult. Uh, the devil is behind addiction. It's a terrible thing. And uh, we need to help those who are vulnerable and we need to uh, pray for them and, and support them and, 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 and try to work to get people out of the you know, terrible grip of addiction. Uh, but we shouldn't pretend that reality isn't reality. And the reality is George Floyd probably died of a fentanyl overdose. Those of us who saw the extended body cam footage saw someone who was incredibly high resisting arrest, flailing and talking about not being able to breathe long before anyone put a hand on him. But because leftists wanted to push an anti-police narrative, Derek Chauvin sits in prison, and now he's been stabbed because of that narrative. It's unfair, it's shameful, it's terrible, and it's shameful that our media cares more about clicks and the left-wing agenda than the truth. Communist China is not America's friend. Communist China does not want to partner with us or work with us in any constructive way. The communist Chinese regime wants only one thing, to supplant us as the world's premier power in order to usher in an era of domination by the CCP and the suppression of freedom and liberty throughout the world. Make no mistake, Xi Jinping and his henchmen are evil. They have no respect for life and will do ever, anything to achieve their aims, anything. And they are the ultimate Machiavellians. For them, the ends always justify the means, no matter how brutal and terrible those means are. And nearly every action the communist Chinese regime takes is meant to harm the United States or to bolster those who stand against us. Xi Jinping and his communist party are the mortal enemies of the Chinese people, and they are also the mortal enemies of America. The only reason they play nicely at times and hold back their aggression against the U.S. is because America is far stronger than the CCP. Far stronger. The minute that changes, however, and we must all pray that it never does, but the minute that that changes, the world will become unrecognizable, filled with violence and horror the likes of which we have never seen. Which is why the United States should not be cooperating with the CCP. Our leaders should not be meeting President Xi at APEC meetings in San Francisco, for example, or running around hailing our cooperation and agreements with the communist Chinese regime. Rather, we should confront the CCP at every turn to weaken them and open the door for hundreds of millions of freedom-loving Chinese to take control of their government and nation. But that, unfortunately, is not how President Biden sees things. A couple weeks ago, President Biden met with communist Chinese leader for life Xi Jinping on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. It was Xi's first trip to the United States in six years, and Biden proceeded to give away the store to his communist friend. The leaders agreed to open a presidential hotline, resume military-to-military -military communications, work on limiting fentanyl production, and begin cooperation on AI issues. It is interesting that one particular Reuters article reported that the meeting showed tangible progress in Xi and Biden's first face-to-face -face talks in years, in a year. Yes, there was tangible progress if you were on the communist Chinese side of the equation. In return for cooperation, President Biden removed a public, a Chinese public security forensic institute, whatever, whatever that is, from a commerce department's trade sanction list. Trump put this security forensic institute on the list in 2020 because of abuses against the Uyghurs. The communists in China have been pushing hard for this entity to be removed from the sanctions list for quite some time. I wonder why. Well, what Reuters called a public security forensic institute is actually a police institute involved in something called population genetics and the mass persecution of the Uyghurs. 
Emily Fung on NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday spoke with Yves Moreau, an engineering professor at the Belgian KU Leuven University. Just uh, talked about this. During the discussion, Emily said, quote, the Forensics Institute had filed patents saying that they could tell Uyghurs and other ethnic groups apart using their DNA. The U.S. imposed sanctions on the Forensic Institute in 2020 in large part to stop it from buying U.S. equipment. U.S. officials said they feared the Institute's research was used to disproportionately surveil and target ethnic Uyghurs and other groups in China. Canadian sociology professor Mark Munsterhelm discovered the Institute's patents online. In the discussion, he mentioned that, quote, it's the Institute utilizing and in a way resurrecting what were once discredited concepts of race, and particularly because it's being targeted against a marginalized group under conditions of incredible repression. Well, now those sanctions against the evil eugenics institute are gone, and the Chinese police will essentially have our help in furthering the repression and genocide going on within Western China. What are we doing here? Did we not just witness a horrific terror attack on Israel? Now, barely a month after witnessing that evil carnage, we are lifting sanctions against China that were meant to block an institute designed to target the Uyghurs for persecution based on their DNA? Many warned that removing sanctions against the police institute tells China that our sanction lists are negotiable. And they questioned Biden's commitment to pressuring communist China on their genocide against the Uyghurs. And they're absolutely correct. Maybe we need a quick refresher on what is happening to the Uyghurs in China's Xinjiang province. The Philadelphia Inquirer had an article in May 2019 that told a story about a Uyghur woman, Galbahar Mahmud, who moved away from the Xinjiang region three decades ago, before the Uyghur repression reached fever pitch. She would return every so often to see her relatives, but by, uh, by 2015, the situation had become dire. They couldn't walk more than 100 yards in the city of Gulja without coming across <clears throat> a police checkpoint, and the authorities would harass her for hours, withholding her U.S. passport while they questioned her. Then, in 2017, she called her sister, but the phone cut off after seconds. She called her older brother, who was still in the area, and was told that her sister was at a police checkpoint and would be back soon. Well, that was her final contact. In the two years between then and when the article was written, Mamut had not heard from her family at all. They had been disappeared by the Chinese government, something that is commonplace in communist China. No one knows what happened to her family, all six of her brothers and sisters and their large extended family. They are just gone. Stories like this are all too common. In Southern California, there is a large community of Uyghurs who have escaped the persecution. Most left before things became desperate in the second half of the 2010s. Of the around 1,000 people in the community, every one of them has a story about a disappeared relative. The disappeared are taken to the massive concentration camp network built by the Chinese communists. Under the guise of national security, the Chinese communists have taken steps to rid themselves of the Muslim Uyghur population in their western provinces. In 2020, researchers documented 201 re-education camps and 179 detention centers and prisons in Xinjiang province alone, and the situation has become only worse since then. I have done entire segments about, on this issue in the past, so be sure to go and check those out, but the genocide going on in western China is well past the point of being proven. It's, 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 it's a certainty. Countless survivors, Chinese workers, international researchers, and the likes have documented endless tales of torture, rape, experimentation, organ harvesting, slavery, execution, and imprisonment without cause. Uyghur cities that were once filled with life and activity are now nearly devoid of Uyghur activity, with Han Chinese men marrying the remaining women in the name of removing Uyghurs from the gene pool. But the camps just aren't just for Uyghurs. Anyone who angers the Chinese government can find themselves confined in those camps in torture. The communist Chinese have orchestrated a culture of fear within which everyone, party members included, towed the company line or faced torture and death. Just like Mao, Stalin, Hitler, and the rest of history's totalitarian regimes, fear and death rule the day. So why is President Biden meeting with Xi, who is clearly a murderous thug, and coming up with cooperation agreements? 
Why is he going on televised garden walks with Xi, giving him a largely respectful reception in San Francisco? Why is Biden giving China's state-controlled media a chance to show their man, Xi, is handling the United States and able to get what he wants, even from a position of weakness? And China is definitely operating from a position of weakness right now. Just a few years ago, most of the world assumed that China would overtake the U.S. economically. Many thought that they would pass us up militarily as well. Well, they still could, but that is looking less and less likely now that China's economy is in freefall. Just a couple of months ago, Xi, who many thought had held a vice grip on power in communist China, fired his defense minister, General Li Shangfu, after firing his foreign minister, Qing Gang, in July. General Li was promoted to the job in March and will go down as the shortest-serving Chinese defense minister in history. These two men were reportedly hand-picked by Xi, and their abrupt firing has raised questions about Xi's absolute hold on the Communist Party. China's finance minister and their minister of science and technology were also sacked. Xi is also in the midst of a sweeping anti-graft drive, which is targeting more retired officials than ever, probing 41 top groups so far, the most since 2014. He is clearly trying to solidify his hold on power, which means he is vulnerable, and it is probably because of the economy. According to Barron's, even after the Chinese economy recovers, if it recovers, China's economy will be running far below its previous pace. The MSCI China has lost almost $2 trillion in value since its peak in February 2021, with the index down 54% since then. Since 2019, U.S. investment in Chinese private equity and venture capital has fallen by more than 50%, and that was all reported in September. The well-documented collapse of the real estate market in China, which has made up about 30% of the entire Chinese economy, is much to blame. In 2022, real estate investment in China fell for the first time in a decade, and the CCP can't come up with a bailout. Years of borrowing by real estate developers to build homes and apartments and sell them before they were completed relied on massive demand propped up by population growth and forced urbanization. But now the demand is gone, and the government has cracked down on irresponsible borrowing. In 2021, massive real estate conglomerates like Evergrande defaulted, and fear spread throughout the economy. Evergrande still has more than $300 billion in unpaid debts and hundreds of thousands of unfinished apartments across the communist nation. Suffice to say that the Chinese Communist Party has relied on economic growth and prosperity to placate their highly monitored and controlled and suppressed population. That strategy is now coming apart at the seams, and she knows it. Towards the end of last year, the Chinese people began to show their displeasure. Sophie Richardson, China director at the Human, at Human Rights Watch, said at the time, quote, people across China took extraordinary risks to publicly demonstrate for their human rights. Governments around the world should support people's rights to free speech and peaceful protests and hold the Chinese government accountable for rights abuses committed at home and abroad. Publicly protesting in communist China is a risky proposition, but many Chinese have had enough. Xi and the communists are as weak as they have been in some time. That is why Xi was so friendly and accommodating when he met with Biden a couple weeks ago. Speaking to Biden, Xi said China wanted peaceful coexistence with the United States. He told business leaders, who gave him standing ovations, by the way, that China was ready to be a partner and friend to the United States. Well, of course he said that. He can't have the United States working against him while he and his economy are getting weaker and weaker and weaker. It also isn't a coincidence that the world's most advanced military aircraft, the B-21 Raider, the follow-on to the wildly successful B-2 stealth bomber, made its first flight in early November. More than anything else, that aircraft symbolizes the technological chasm that exists between the United States and communist China. There is more advanced AI and cutting-edge technology jammed into that plane than there is in the entire communist <coughs> excuse me, military-industrial complex as a whole. They are just plain scared of the B-21 Raider, and with good reason. It's no wonder that she readily agreed to cooperation on AI technology with Biden. No, the Chinese cannot match us technologically. But they have other ways of closing that gap. Well, they steal from us on a massive scale. This is one of the worst kept secrets on the planet, as I've discussed extensively in previous episodes. Thankfully, the Center for Strategic and International Studies has done everyone an enormous favor. 
the, they put together a survey of Chinese espionage in the United States going back to the year 2000. The survey draws from open source material and focuses on Chinese espionage directed at the U.S. It does not cover the 1,200 cases of intellectual property theft lawsuits brought by U.S. companies against Chinese entities. It also admits that the number of incidents China directed against the U.S. far outnumber the attempts of any other country, and that many, many more have occurred as this is, an, as this is open source intelligence. According to the survey, and even given those Given those caveats, there have been about 224 significant espionage incidents since 2000. 224. And other news sources and U.S. officials have backed up that report. Listen to former acting Undersecretary of Defense for Policy James Anderson in a Fox News digital interview. He said this, quote, What we know is that because of espionage efforts, China's J-20 is more advanced than it otherwise would be. And that's the important point here. They have profited greatly from their thievery over the years. They've put it to good use, and they've come up with an advanced fifth-generation fighter, close quote. The Chinese Communist Party has been engaged in a massive-scale, decades-long espionage effort aimed at stealing high-end American military technology to give their military a chance at competing with ours in the near term. Remember, U.S. intelligence has shown, and our CIA director William Burns has said, that Xi Jinping instructed China's military to be ready to invade Taiwan by 2027. And Xi himself has stressed time and time again that forcing Taiwan into the communist Chinese nation is his top priority. But that cannot happen until the Chinese military is at least on par with our own. The only way that happens is through technological theft. The Chinese military-industrial complex cannot compete with ours in a fair fight. It's not even close. So they have spent 30 years closing the gap with espionage, and it has been working. But we could change that in a heartbeat. All we have to do is counter their espionage, and our technological edge starts to grow again. That is far easier than what the CCP has to do to get an edge on us, building up an entire defense sector, sector to U.S. standards. So militarily, we have the edge, and we have the much easier task when it comes to maintaining that edge. So in summary, the Chinese communists do not respect life. They treat whomever they wish as if they were subhuman. They are weakened to the point that Xi Jinping is fighting to hold on to power. Their economy is in shambles and will remain so for the foreseeable future, and they are desperately stealing our technology to maintain pace in a military race that they just can't win. Now let's consider the dastardly, evil, and vile October 7th terror attack on Israel. Consider this. It took nearly two full weeks for Xi Jinping to even make a statement about that horrific and evil attack. To this day, China has not condemned the Hamas terror attack. China's foreign ministry gave a statement in the days after the attack, but didn't even mention Hamas by name, rather calling for relevant parties to remain calm, exercise restraint, and immediately end the hostilities to protect civilians. Close quote. A few days later, they added to their statement saying that China is a quote, friend to both Israel and Palestine, close quote, is utterly despicable. Xi himself didn't comment until October 18th at a Belt and Road Initiative meeting with the Egyptian prime minister. She said, quote, the top priority now is a ceasefire as soon as possible to avoid conflict from expanding or even spiraling out of control and causing a serious humanitarian crisis, close quote. He also said that China is working with, is willing to work with Arab nations to promote a comprehensive, just, and lasting solution to the Palestine issue. Close quote. He added that a two-state solution to establish an independent Palestine is a fundamental way out of the conflict. I guess in dictator Xi demented mind, thousands of Israelis butchered by terrorists isn't a humanitarian crisis. Neither is the seizure of hundreds of hostages, apparently. It's pure evil. Obviously, Israel is very upset with China's comments, as they should, as should be any rational and clear-thinking human being. Israel is especially upset, though, given that China has spent a great deal of time and effort trying to cultivate a good relationship with Israel, and is currently their second largest trading partner. But when push comes to shove, we should have expected the communist Chinese to side with like-minded organizations like Hamas. And China has still not designated Hamas a terror group. It's no surprise, given that China, the CCP's own genocidal behavior, 
that she and the communists find no fault with a brutal massacre of civilians, civilians perpetrated by Hamas and their Iranian overlords. China and Iran are friends. In March of 2021, Iran and China signed a, a 25-year strategic cooperation agreement, which essentially exchanges cheap Iranian oil in return for Chinese help building advanced infrastructure. It is no wonder, then, that Iranian oil exports have increased more than threefold over the past three years, partly due to relaxed U.S. sanctions enforcement and partly to increased, uh, due to increased Chinese demand for cheap oil. In fact, an astounding 91% of Iran's monthly oil exports went to China during the first half of 2023. That oil revenue is a key driver in Iran's funding of worldwide terrorism, and we know that Iran was deeply involved in planning and funding the Hamas attack on Israel. So Chinese money played a role in killing Israeli civilians. Once again, we find communist China on the side of evil. So why, then, is Joe Biden so eager to meet with and cooperate with communist China? Why does he call Xi Jinping a dictator with one breath and remove sanctions on a Chinese entity involved in genocide against the Uyghurs with the next breath? It is, because the is it because the Chinese communists have bought him off? Well, we are hearing a lot of evidence that Biden and his family were paid enormous sums of money by groups and people from China with ties to the CCP. Or maybe it's the same reason that American business leaders give Xi standing ovations when he was in San Francisco. The Chinese market is too large and too tempting, making it easy for some to look the other way when it comes to genocide in Xinjiang. Whatever the reason, Joe Biden and anyone else wanting to cooperate and work with the communist Chinese have, they're just plain wrong. Look, the communist Chinese government has much more in common with Nazi Germany than they do with us or Europe or pretty much anyone else. Whatever happened to never again? I thought the world would vow to never again allow a Holocaust to take place. Well, there is one happening right now inside of China. And as if that weren't enough, the communist, China, communist Chinese just sided with Hamas and Iran in the wake of the worst terror attack the world has seen since 9-11. Beheaded babies, people burned alive, civilians gunned down in their cars, mass rape, torture, hostages, death everywhere. The communist Chinese regime is okay with all of that, it seems. We should not be surprised. Xi Jinping is simply following in the footsteps of, footsteps of the greatest murderer in human history, Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong killed somewhere between 40 to 80 million, maybe up to 100 million, probably more on the, on the higher side of that, 100 million people through starvation, persecution, hard labor, and mass executions. Remember this quote from Mao. He said, quote, What's so unusual about Emperor Shi Huang of the Qin Dynasty? He had buried alive 460 scholars only, but we have buried alive 46,000 scholars, close quote. Mao called that a major accomplishment of his cultural revolution, revolution that terrorized China from around 1966 through 1976. We are dealing with an evil government. The Chinese people, oppressed and afraid as they are, largely agree with us on that point. And once you strip away the Chinese economy, their military power, their influence worldwide, their wealth and everything else, you are left with one very hard truth. The Chinese Communist Party has absolutely no respect for life. That is the crux of the evil that is the CCP. Killing thousands or even millions is of no consequence to them. The end always justifies the means for the CCP. There is no limit to what they will do to achieve their aims. And that is why we, the United States, as the leader of the free world, the supposed guardian of liberty, must confront the CCP at every turn, at every opportunity. It doesn't matter what they offer, how they want to cooperate and get along, what they say, or how rich they can make anyone. It doesn't matter how many power plants and ports they build or how powerful their military is. We are morally obligated to oppose the evil that resides within the CCP's core, the evil that motivates everything that the CCP does. It is the same obligation that we have to confront and defeat the Hamas terrorists and terror in general. They have no respect for human life, and that is something that we cannot tolerate as a civilized nation, as a Christian nation. To look the other way is to lose our moral authority for good, and too many in our nation are looking the other way. How many companies bow to the communist Chinese in the name of profits and money? Disney comes to mind immediately. Look how they actually put China's nine-dash line in a Barbie movie of all places. The CCP essentially claims all the South China Sea with that ridiculous nine-dash line, but putting it on a map in the background of a Barbie movie? Seriously? This must stop. 
Our government and our companies must begin seeing the communist Chinese for what it is, an enemy that must be defeated. They steal from us. They oppose us at every turn. They support our enemies, and they prove their evil nature by disrespecting life and, and committing genocide, brutality. They sided with Hamas and the terrorists, for goodness sake. And yet President Biden, well, he strolled around a garden with dictator Xi. Just look at this. There he is, walking through the garden. President Xi and President Biden. Isn't that lovely? Surprising that President Biden hasn't tripped. It's on Chinese CCTV, by the way, providing an image uh, to folks in China to help bolster President Xi and his grip on power. It's terrible. Terrible that Biden allowed that. Biden, Biden even helped Xi with his genocide by removing that police agency from our sanction list. In return, Xi promised to help us with curbing fentanyl precursors coming into the United States. Wait a minute. Xi promised to stop aiding, killing people in the United States? Seriously? Here's what should have happened. Biden should have refused to meet with Xi. Instead, he should have called a press conference where he called out Xi and the Communist Party as enemies of peace, life, and liberty before making several demands of the dictator. One, show tangible evidence that the CCP is halting the flow of fentanyl precursors from China into the United States. They need to stop doing that. They need to stop killing our people now. Two, show tangible evidence of the dismantling of their genocidal concentration camp system. Three, show tangible evidence that the CCP has stopped spying on America and stealing our technology. Four, renounce any stupid claims to the island of Taiwan. You don't have a claim to Taiwan. Five, Stop waging informational warfare against the American people through TikTok and other means. Six, stop dumping underpriced subsidized steel imports into the United States. I could go on and on, but those things would be a good start. Of course, the CCP would be offended and stage episodes of outrage. They would refuse all of it. Knowing this, Biden should have packages of economic sanctions ready to enforce, growing more serious each month or even each week until the demands are met. China is now, especially economically, in a position of weakness, and any pressure we apply will only worsen the situation for the CCP. So now is our chance. Xi's grip on power is as loose as it ever will be. We should take advantage of the situation and, to, and do everything we can to help topple that evil regime without a shot being fired. Their economy, upon which most of the CCP's authority has been built, is teetering on true collapse. Massive tariffs on in-demand goods, large expansions of our sanctions list could very well see that collapse through. The Chinese people would then have a real chance to topple the CCP and end their rule of tyranny and fear. Just imagine what a free and just China would look like and what it could do for the world. Now is our chance, but before anything can happen, our leaders must see the Chi communist Chinese government for what it truly is, an evil enemy bent on global domination. And we are the only thing standing in their way. We must find a way to usher the CCP out of power before we are forced to fight their evil nature with missiles and guns. If we wait too long, it will come to that. President Trump, he saw that clearly. Biden does not. It's just one more thing riding on the 2024 election. But this particular thing... With respect to this particular thing, millions of lives are hanging in the balance. So let's hope that we make the right choice. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and go to our sponsor, MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WARDLOW, W-A-R-D-L-O-W, to get great, get great discounts on their products. And of course, remember one thing, the CCP must be destroyed.